Hey there. Hello. I'm the teacher today, so sit down and shut up. <laughs> hey, uh, can I go to the bathroom? No. Don't you mean may I? It's an emergency, though. Okay, then. Sure. I don't care. Oh, I don't do that. So I, my philosophy is I'm not an English teacher. That's their job yeah. to say the annoying may I line. Also, like, who cares? <laughs> yeah, grammar is pretty much what you make of it. It's fluid. So. <laughs> it grows with people. It's fine. Our English teacher audience is rapidly declining now. They are all just <laughs> they all hit unsubscribe. turning off, unsubscribing. Yeah. <laughs> Canceled. Okay. Well, today we're going to talk about the group move and uh, their encounters with police in 1978 and 1985. And yeah, let's just kind of get into it. Okay. Cool. Stop me if you have questions or comments or whatever. Will do. Cool. All right. So first off, kind of getting into like, what is MOVE? Why are we talking about it? Like, what's the significance here? MOVE is an organization and it was and still exists, actually. It's just like much smaller, actually. Um, but it is a very hard to categorize movement. I would go ahead and say it's leftist, considering the list of things they support or protest are like pretty much on brand. <laughs> um, but they have more of a, I would say, a naturalist lean. We'll talk more about their beliefs and stuff in a second, but just a little bit of like kind of their background. Um, so the name MOVE, it's spelled in all caps, but it is not an acronym. Um, it actually refers to their idea of like being on the move. Like the their founder thought like, you know, if you stop moving, you're dead, <laughs> you know? Okay, like physically or like doing stuff in general? Like, are they very active? Is, like, I think you know. they're both active and activists. <laughs> okay, yeah. all right, cool, cool. So it's like a, I don't know, mentally I'm picturing like, since it's not an acronym, it's like, move, move. that's a shout. <laughs> no, know? right? Well, they do actually, they say that to each other. They'll be like, on the move. Like, that's like one of their things when they see another member. Oh, that's member. a cool catchphrase. That's really yeah. cool, right? <laughs> So this was founded in 1972 by John Africa. Quick note, you'll be hearing a lot of the surname Africa in this because most of the members, when they join, they take that as their last name, that they refer to themselves as a family a lot. And they also do it to like, you know, honor Africa as like the mother continent. Um, mm, it it okay, is a largely cool, cool. black group. There are a few um, Latinx members from what I could tell, or there were at least during like some of the footage I was watching and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. um, but it is a largely black group. A lot of people in the group will grow their hair out into like dreadlocks and stuff. Like it has kind of that like Rasta vibe. Um, so yeah. Cool. So originally it was called the Christian Movement for Life, which made me go, I don't know if I'm going to like this group. <laughs> <laughs> but the weird thing is like their ideals and stuff I, they never get preachy in in what we consider the the american sense of preachy so i don't super like i can't tell that they want to convert people or anything i don't think that's necessarily part of their ideology so they don't want to convert people this is like not evangelical i guess in that way Let's just go ahead and get into their beliefs because I think that helps explain it a little more. They're very environmentalist. Like it's a super green movement. Um, they're pro-animal rights, anti like puppy mills and zoos and circuses. Um, they are vegetarian and they eat, like ate a raw food diet, um, anti-pollution, all that kind of stuff. Um, and the core of their belief is that like all life has value, including animals. Um, so one thing they would do is they would just adopt every single stray dog they saw. 
<laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Their house was full of dogs. <laughs> oh, that's, I mean, I say it's awesome. It's also kind of probably at, at some point gets to be in the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. So I, I say they're hard to categorize because like a lot of resources and stuff out there will will kind of try to put them into like a box on the left of like, oh, maybe they're anarchist or anarcho-primitivist or um, something like that. But they don't really say that they are those things. I think they just like have stuff in common with those kinds of stripes. They are like anti-technology and kind of anti-society. They don't really prescribe to like science and medicine and they they homeschool all their kids they do home births like stuff like that like they're very much like we're gonna do our own thing over here interesting okay this is kind of a mixed bag for me i kind of like some of these things (laughs) it's kind of cool you know i mean like uh, i like the animals but i also like computers (laughs) sure but i don't know i guess like we had in our luddites episode there's an appreciation for sort of angles of anti-tech stuff like it does make sense the way the tech is applied in in our world, uh, in, you know, within the Imperial core, the not medicine stuff. I mean, I, I like medicine. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. I would, I would like to keep my, my brain meds to make sure that keeps working. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, there's, there are, I've seen critiques of like, uh, big pharma and stuff and how that, yeah, how things are kind of like, well, it's all profit driven. Right. So yes. It's like, oh, let's just prescribe stuff to, like, help you feel better in a shitty system instead of fixing. So, I mean, you know, okay, I can get a little bit of it. One of the core aspects of the group, at least from, like, how I understood it, is that they see the whole system as inherently, like, just wrong and unethical and, like, is anti-life in a lot of ways. And so they are, like, for revolution and they are like the only ethical thing to do is to get the fuck out and do your own thing like they they will not they're very uncompromising in a lot of ways interesting that reminds me it's so in a similar way to like when we were talking about the diggers say they kind of arrive at you know a leftist movement from their belief system it's not like they are leftists who also believe this thing it's like their belief system is like, okay, well, then we need to do some revolution and and so we can uphold our beliefs. Yeah, yeah. And I think that core belief, I mean, to me, at least, and maybe I'm like totally missing a source out there that has more about like their specifically Christian beliefs, but like they are so focused on like life and the equality of life again with animals mm-hmm. and nature and like all that stuff. And, you know, this was like in the 70s and 80s when this like stuff wasn't as popular. That was their core belief is that life has value. So, you know, if you view capitalism for what it is which is you know not so much for life <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that makes for sense sure. it's for bleeding the life force <laughs> out of people it is a little more about john africa the founder he had kind of a poor upbringing and background um he eventually got drafted for the korean war came back and he moved to uh powelton which is a neighborhood in west philly and he joined uh this community housing co-op uh, that basically was pooling money near the uh, University of Pennsylvania in order to stop those from becoming like academic housing because they're like, hey, like people live here too, <laughs> like other people live here. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. And that co-op actually helped him keep his home by purchasing it for him when he was like facing foreclosure. Um, so he was kind of always involved in these like community-based movements. In 1972 is when he actually changed his name. His original name was Vincent Leaphart. 
but he changed it to John Africa. And that's kind of when he started working on his his ideology. He got help from a guy named Donald Glassy, uh, who was a social worker from UPenn. Um, and he helped him write his book because he was kind of like functionally illiterate. And so he helped him write it. And it was called The Guidelines. Eventually, Africa and Glassy had a falling out, so he wasn't involved anymore. Uh, but they kind of used these guidelines throughout. And, and that really gets to all of the I don't want to say pro-life because that's such a connotation, but the focus Mm. on life (laughs) beliefs that they have. A couple of other points about their beliefs. Uh, They're definitely a black liberation group. Uh, They're anti-racist. They're anti-cop. They did a lot of work for prisoners' rights, community housing, and uh, highlighting elder abuse in the black community. And they did a ton of mutual aid. So they, they move into this house on Pearl Street in West Philadelphia. One other thing, a lot of the membership were former Black Panther Party members. Um, so if you recognize any names, that's that's where they're from. But they move into this neighborhood and just start getting to work. They do carpentry. They shovel snow. They sweep streets. They run a car wash. They help homeless people find housing. They help elderly people with home repairs. Um, they help like formerly incarcerated people find work with like a rehab program. And... They're just doing all this, like, for free just in the neighborhood. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. How did they, maybe a technical question, but how did they, like, I don't know, get the funds to, to do these things? So a few of them did have jobs, it seems like. So it wasn't like mm-hmm. everybody didn't. But I think they also, like, I want to say they grew their own food and stuff. So, like, they tried to be as self-sufficient as possible. They didn't have electricity. So I don't know how that worked, but okay. Saves on the power bills, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm not sure exactly where the rest of their funding came from though. Okay, but that's cool. They're sort of self-sufficient, uh, direct, mutual aid stuff. I think it's important to lay that groundwork because shit's gonna get really bad in this story. <laughs> so. Okay, so this is the the first part of the movie. Things are good. <laughs> we're getting the team together, and now the team is doing cool shit. And we're helping the community, helping ourselves. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And I, I don't want to paint a totally rosy or biased picture here. One thing I do want to bring up is a lot of times this group gets called a cult. I don't think that's a particularly accurate term here. Um, I, I, I watched this documentary called uh, 40 Years a Prisoner. It's on HBO Max if you want to watch it. And in it, there was an interview with their defense lawyer, Joel Todd. He defended them in like an earlier charge, not like some of the big ones we're going to get to. But he was saying like, oh, well, I think their back to the nature plan is really impractical. So like, it's just incompatible with society. So if anyone tries to do that, like, you're crazy. And so like, that's why I think it's a cult. And I'm like, maybe you're right on how impractical it is. But like, I don't think that means it's like a cult. Because to me, that carries so much connotation of like evil or manipulative, you know? Yeah, it's it's similar to, you know, there's there's plenty of loaded words like this. It just it's it's you it's can like easily dismiss things. <laughs> yeah, you can easily dismiss just like dehumanize groups and just say like they are not like regular people. They have the brain scrubbed out mm-hmm. and you know, they believe anything that somebody tells them. No use in, you know, like it's yeah. puts them in a different category. I think too, I think a lot of people tried to pin John Africa as like you know, like a cult leader kind of figure, but like it was a pretty non-hierarchical movement from what I can tell. Like, yeah, he was in charge, but like I didn't seem culty to me. 
One thing I will bring up is uh, later in the in the movement's history, this is actually gonna be after what we're talking about, but I wanna bring it up now, is that there are some allegations of abuse within the movement, um, and it seems to be later, like in like the late 80s when different people were running it who like weren't John Africa. Um, so things like pressuring young girls to marry and have children like at very young ages, like 14 and stuff like that. Okay, yeah, so, that's not good. pretty bad. Um, also some homophobic yeah. stuff. That one actually I think was, was John Africa, like saying homophobic stuff in like a sermon or something. I guess that stuff was happening at some point. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly the timeline of, of all those allegations, but like those stories are out there. And if you want to look them up, they, we definitely have those sources listed in like our um, Patreon notes. But I, I don't want to paint this as like, this was a perfect utopian community. But I guess that being said that like a lot of religious organizations have abuse accusations, not to say that that is an excuse, but like, I don't think you can just say you have abuse, therefore you are a cult. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so like uh, many other religious organizations or any organizations, really, honestly, really, yeah. uh, you end up with the controversies tab and, and the uh, <laughs> Wikipedia article. Yeah, we're going to do some crazy controversy tabs later. <laughs> All right, but these, that yeah, just to paint the even picture, that's yeah. there. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so... They move in, they start doing some mutual aid, and one of the things that they're very famous for is they do demonstrations out in the street with just like a bullhorn. They just go out there and yell about an issue, and um, anything from animal rights to education to like certain political candidates they don't like, just, and, and they're very profane, and this is what the media chose to focus on, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it was great. They're just like, these fucking assholes. Like, it's really good. Um, <laughs> one of the things that they were protesting was police brutality. And uh, so the police started harassing them. I guess that makes sense. The police aren't known for just, like, taking kindly to basically anything anyone does, except for, like, cower in fear. Yeah, they don't do a lot of self-criticism over there. <laughs> yeah for sure all right so they didn't respond kindly what did they how did they respond so according to the philadelphia daily news which is a a newspaper at the time reporting on this heavily the police were spending around four thousand four hundred and ninety three dollars a day to surveil the house and its members oh okay so they just spied on them all they just spied on them this paper also like listed officers' salaries and shit, which I thought was great. Um, it is worth <laughs> noting this this specific outlet was blamed by the mayor for inflaming tensions, and I'm like, yeah, I bet you didn't like that. <laughs> was this just a regular newspaper? Like, how did they exist for for very long? Like, going after the cops? <laughs> That's Philadelphia. a great question. <laughs> or were they some sort of radical outlet? Oh, it's a tabloid technically. So I don't know if that makes a difference. It's also it also owns the other major newspaper in the city, though, the Philadelphia Inquirer. So I think they're just like big enough they could get away with it, maybe. I don't know. Uh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, good on them. Yeah, right. Oh, but okay. Apparently, in 1986, they started giving out awards to uh, a Philadelphia police officer who exemplifies compassion, fairness, and civic commitment. Not a thing. <laughs> I guess maybe they changed their tactics. <laughs> like, oh, we got to yeah, be nice to cops maybe now. maybe someone change your leadership <laughs> or just change it to... I mean, people change. People get shitty. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's talk about that mayor that I briefly mentioned. Um, the guy who was like, this paper sucks. 
Here's why he thought the paper sucked. It's because this guy fucking sucks. <laughs> oh, who is this guy? This guy is Mayor Frank Rizzo, and he was a former police commissioner. Boo. Yeah, yeah. Very Trumpian. Like, there's a lot of footage of him in the documentary just saying, like, super inflammatory shit and, like, hating on the media and, like, all that kind of shit. He loves law and order and he loves a bad soundbite. So (laughs) (laughs) he has a section in his Wikipedia page titled Relationship with Black Americans and Police Riots. So that's how you know you're a good guy. (laughs) Not a good combo. Well, I mean, as police commissioner, that's rarely going to go well because you're kind of enforcing white supremacy. So you are. And he did. He raided the Black Panther Party offices in Philly and performed an illegal strip search on them. One of his campaign slogans was vote white because he was against desegregation and building public housing in white neighborhoods. So uh, talk about <laughs> saying the quiet part out loud. Just I guess like, that was the, the 70s. <laughs> yeah. During his tenure as police commissioner, he did lots of raids, black neighborhoods, interracial couples, uh, queer spaces, beatniks. That was illegal at the time? I don't know. <laughs> I think they That's- just like made something up to go get him i guess was it now i'm now i'm curious let's see oh when was he police commissioner from 68 to 71 yeah i was in the 60s so and loving versus virginia overturned anti-interracial marriage laws in 1967 okay so it was right after okay maybe they didn't get yeah. the news about it <laughs> we hadn't heard uh, Wild. Yeah. I pulled some, some choice quotes from Rizzo about the MOVE organization. This this first one is actually a paraphrase. I, I was watching the documentary, so I was like just typing as I was watching it. Um, he said something along the lines of, if the police aren't being aggressive, I would fire the police commissioner. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this is our job. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be aggressive. All right. And then these two are direct quotes. You are dealing with criminals, barbarians. You are safer in the jungle. Ooh. Break their heads is right. They try to break yours. You break theirs first. Well, so. okay. Then they didn't try to break yours. Okay. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. Wow. And considering this guy... how this story goes, it's a lot. And he's saying they're the barbarians. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Let's get this. He's the one who sounds like one. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. And for some more context, in general, in Philadelphia, this was a really bad time for police violence against black people. Not like there's ever been a good time for that yeah. happening. Like, <laughs> we're at an all time low, but like, it, it was right. really yeah, we bad. Don't, I guess we run the risk of saying like, here's the bad guy, Frank Rizzo. He comes out and invents racism and comes out <laughs> here and starts beating everyone up because he was just a bigoted guy. But like, obviously, he's he's continuing a trend that was already there a system that is built to find ways to incarcerate black people and brown people like it's it's not just him i guess he does sound like a uniquely asshole figure but (laughs) it is not and i you know these two stories take place in two different decades with two different mayors and i think Mm. that really helps exemplify it because the second guy is a black democrat and things do not go well there either so okay yeah good great spoilers (laughs) it doesn't get better (laughs) So, yeah, it was a really bad time for fatal shootings. Um, The majority of those done by police were of young black men. There was a really big, um, not trend, I guess, but like a common practice was you'd have plainclothes cops posing as like an easy target 
to be robbed at like a subway mm. station you know they'd be like be in a wheelchair or something or just like i guess like just look like they could be robbed for some reason just like walking around with a giant uh <laughs> just purse. a cartoon bag of money yeah money spilling out of it <laughs> just comically like grappling for it. oh oh, oh uh, like blind glasses on or something <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they would pose like this and they'd have another officer hiding out with them. And then if someone tries to rob them, they would try to arrest them and then shoot them if they run away. So they still do this. They still do. Cops do like, uh, you've seen the story of like, oh, they leave a truck full of like shoes or something like to try to get people to steal it. It's honeypot, man. Yeah. During Rizzo's tenure, there was a huge drop in hiring of black police officers, um, there was a Human Rights Watch report that reported during his tenure as well that Philly officers were 37 times more likely to shoot unarmed citizens for nonviolent crime than New York City cops. Wow. That's, uh, that's, that's way more likely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, it's not like ever in New York City is like not racist, too. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Right. Yeah. They're not. They weren't doing sensitivity trainings or anything <laughs> in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty bad. Okay, back to the story, though. We have Move starting up their shit, doing demonstrations, yelling into a megaphone, getting people uh, kind of annoyed in general. And who are they demonstrating against? Various things. They would just, like, call out a zoo or, like, a circus or police in general or just, like, lots of different things. Whatever was on their mind that day. Yeah, basically. So when I watched the documentary, and even in, like readings of articles and stuff you'll hear a lot about neighborhood complaints being something that like was happening it's a mixed bag because i think there were people complaining because like you got someone out with a bullhorn at all hours of the day that's kind of annoying yeah (laughs) we would be we would be annoyed if we're trying to record and someone's out there (laughs) can you imagine but it would make our jobs easier. What we would do is just take, you know, get a, a laptop or something, take it outside and just, I mean, they could do the podcast for us. You know? Yeah, right. Like, what do you have to say about that? Oh, I fucking hate it. <laughs> yeah. It's essentially what we're doing. It's, just yeah, we're not yelling. A little quieter. <laughs> <laughs> the house itself was also like in disrepair. They had like a lot of trash and like they had a ton of dogs. A lot of animals. Yeah. <laughs> They claim there's lots of health hazards, also the dogs, and you had like naked children running around and stuff like that. And so people would be like, I think there's just a lot of judginess too. Well, people always like to get in, in other people's business. I mean, that's something that uh, if if you want to kind of keep happily insulated from that, stay away from like next door. <laughs> oh God, it's the worst. Uh, or Facebook neighborhood groups mm-hmm. and various things like that. That's all. You'll just, you'll see that. That's what that will be. That's what that is. So yeah, there's definitely some friction with the neighbors, but I I think it's interesting that it's, I don't feel like it was as severe as maybe some people think. Like a lot of, like you'll see a lot of the the press being like, yeah, the neighbors fucking hated them. But then they would also interview real neighbors and they'd be like, yeah, I hope the police don't fuck with them. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, they interview this lady and they're like clearly trying to get her to talk shit about them. Be like, don't you think this is an eyesore? And aren't you worried having these people here? And she said something in the effect of honestly, I'm more worried about the police killing them than like them causing violence. (laughs) For real. That that's a smart lady. It's it, it makes sense. Like you said, there's elements of how they live that probably do kind of Irk I mean, people it's a when commune. you buy them and stuff. You know, yeah, it, and it does sound a little bit like 
maybe a health concern or whatever mm-hmm. if you got like a lot of i don't know if they were just adopting dogs or like if you had like other types animals. of animals there too if they like them all then probably but, i think they had cats i might assume they would but i know they had 48 dogs which is just too many dogs yeah for sure <laughs> but on the other hand like we mentioned earlier they were doing community activism and like serving their neighbors and all this like yeah there's gonna be goodwill there too you know and mm-hmm. they might be like it's not my bag like i don't do that but they're cool you know but the police did not think they were cool and due to their intense surveillance they just started arresting people um they would often cite their use of profanity as inciting a riot they would charge them a lot with terroristic threats which is apparently like a pretty low bar at the time in philadelphia like you'd be like i'm gonna fuck this up and you'd be like ah that's a terroristic threat (laughs) so (laughs) they didn't say parody parody after everything they were saying (laughs) they should just wear a shirt or something that says parody like everything i say is a parody (laughs) anyway fuck the man (laughs) yeah (laughs) they also had weapons charges uh which we'll we'll get to the weapons disputes there's there's, it's unclear if that was uh called for i mean it definitely wasn't called for in their response but well yeah and it's also Again, we get back to why are there weapons charges there in the first place or laws about like who regulating who can carry and all that stuff. A large part of that is designed to criminalize black and brown people just existing or defending themselves. If we go back to the Black Panther demonstration in California, it was Governor Ronald Reagan who was all of a sudden like, oh, no, we're going to do gun control because black people are carrying guns. Yeah, definitely true. Like, I don't see a lot of white people getting arrested for the same thing. And, like, I I listened to uh, Rev Left Radio's episode on this. And, I mean, one, I highly recommend it um, if you want to know more um, or just, like, a different angle on it or whatever. Um, Yeah, no, those guys are great. Yeah, yeah. But they kept bringing up, like, well, you never see this kind of treatment for far-right groups. Because they're yeah. the same as the cops, first off. <laughs> they're the same <laughs> yeah, they're, people. They're paramilitary wing of the cops. Yeah, yeah. They started arresting some MOVE members. In March of 1976, a group of these members end up being released from prison. And some members were, like, outside greeting them and celebrating. And cops interpreted this as a riot and violently broke up this group. In the struggle, you have Janine Africa... And she was shoved because she was trying to, like, protect her brother, I think, who was involved in this fight. And she ha- she fell and dropped her baby, who was three weeks old, and he was killed. Whoa. Yeah. So the cops killed a baby. The cops killed a baby. For, uh, by trying to stop a celebration that they said, oh, you're too happy, that's a riot? Essentially, yeah, it's going to get worse. Hold on to your butts. Worse than killing a baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. The MOVE members that were there, they were all beaten. Uh, This apparently is not an isolated incident. According to MOVE, three of their members had previously been beaten while pregnant and had miscarriages in different incidents. And when I say it gets worse, this is how the police denied the death of this baby, um, whose name was Life Africa. Since it was a home birth, the baby didn't have like a social security number. Yeah. And so the police tried to claim the baby didn't exist. They made up the baby. It was a hoax. They also denied them beatings, but yeah, duh, of course they would. Also a hoax, <laughs> yeah. So MOVE invited like city council members to their house to view the body of, of the baby. Wow. Yeah. Did they go? 
they yeah went they like had dinner with them and then went to like the basement and saw it and they they wouldn't give up the baby for like the body up for an autopsy but like they're kind of understandable honestly at this point the system is so fucked like right yeah give it to the people who hired the people to kill your baby yeah you know because i mean they're not the police but they are like in charge of the government that runs it so exactly (laughs) no officers were charged in this and instead in fact they charged the members who were beaten by the police instead or what what is what is the charge of that getting getting the inciting a riot thing oh wow yeah so in response move is like well we gotta get our shit together so they start fortifying their house um, they board up their windows. They build like a barricade. Um, they start doing like drills with guns and like dressed in fatigues and shit. And, you know, this makes people very nervous. <laughs> Three more of their members end up getting arrested, um, which that'll come back later. They get arrested for inciting a riot. Again, pretty easy to do. You can just like be rude around a police officer. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. You're doing your daily rant and you swear <laughs> inciting a riot. That's a riot. You dance for joy because your friend's out of prison. Riot. You tell a really good joke. Uh, that's all right. <laughs> anyway. Um, a little levity. <laughs> we got to break it up a little bit. But okay, again, I, I was watching this documentary and I think it was a really fascinating parallel to a lot of movements today because there's so much focus on respectability politics, so much focus on their use of profanity. Almost any time they interviewed a journalist, they're just like, I just don't get why they like had to swear so much. I think they really hurt themselves by doing that. And I was like, their baby got killed. Like, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> Shouldn't have swore. Insane. It's crazy. The respectability stuff is just very... I, I get having the discussion from a tactical level. Mm-hmm. But what I don't get is... Or what I do get, but I don't have any respect for, is <laughs> the other... You know, when people use it to put down or dismiss you know leftist groups or whatever like to me it's just like whatever dude you're just you're just trying to find an excuse you know you would find a different one if they were clean spoken or whatever they were using only school approved words (laughs) you would still not like them and you'd find something else for sure you'd be like oh it's unrealistic or oh whatever like you're gonna find a reason to disagree yeah yeah not to say on the left like we have to go out and swear like yeah have your own do do what you want like you know and, and figure it out in your groups but I like swearing. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so the police obtained a court order to evict move from the house, supposedly due to complaints from the neighbors. Again, I don't know. I'm sure there were some neighbors who complained. Move refused because they wanted their prisoners released first. They're like, no, you guys have some of our guys. Give them to us and then we can talk. They just refused for a long time. And then Rizzo finally um, was like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to starve him out. He issues a blockade that lasts for 56 days, turns off the water, no food. Uh, They eventually send in food for nursing mothers and pregnant women and children. Wow. Oh, by the way, it's mostly women and children in these houses. (laughs) Like there's, it's families. Wow. So he's just like doing a siege? Essentially. Against these people? You had to show your ID to even get in the neighborhood. Wow. They, so they had a cordoned off, blockaded? Yeah, it was like a whole area. Which means that, that like the neighbors and stuff were also in that? Like they had to go through the the police 
perimeter or whatever. Yeah. And there was a ton of people just like in the documentary, you just see people walking around like, I'm just trying to get home. Like, (laughs) it was insane. That's wild. Yeah. But I mean, you know, this guy doesn't see that can be i can't imagine it well it wasn't that racially integrated of com, of a community right like so he he doesn't really care if he's if he's fucking up the lives of all these people so from what i understand this community is kind of mixed um it's okay. close to the university so like it has like some white people in it as well but it it does still have like lots of different people the second neighborhood they moved to is i think more black okay so I guess he has to be somewhat cautious, though, with his vote white slogan. <laughs> Gotta keep he may them lose happy. some of his voters, you know. Right. Like, I couldn't get home. Move actually ended up refusing that food they sent uh, for the children. And so, of course, the media was like, they don't even want to feed their children. And it's like, right. why would they take this food from people they don't trust? They're like, also that under the siege. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what's in that food? Just saying. Cops were just everywhere. Like, if you watch the documentary, it's crazy. They're just swarming around. Um, They're aiming snipers at the house. They're throwing rocks at the house. They're yelling at members, like, going in and out and stuff. And meanwhile, Rizzo's out there being like, oh, move. They've got underground tunnels. They've got bombs. They've got so many guns. Like, that's why we're doing all this. There's no evidence for, like, any of those things. Man, yeah, they make them sound like the National Liberation Front in Vietnam. That's crazy. There's none of those. (laughs) They have some guns, which we'll talk about again. (laughs) Yeah, but, like, the tunnels, the secret. The tunnels, yeah, yeah, right? Like, very advanced. It's wild. I mean, I guess, you know, it makes sense to come out and say that because you have been watching them, like, fortify the place, right? Mm -hmm. So you can be like, oh, well. Clearly. They have a huge fortress. Obviously, they have have a moat. They've got, like, a pot of boiling oil and it's... (laughs) catapult alligators yeah (laughs) all right so eventually they come to a truce for 90 days the prisoners were released to move uh, but they had to give up their weapons give up anyone with an existing warrant and vacate the house Um, that last one ends up being really difficult because remember they have 48 dogs so they wanted more time to find home for all their animals Um, and also like if you're a radical like black activist group not a lot of landlords are going to, like, okay your lease. Like, it's going to be difficult to find housing. Yeah, I can imagine so. Uh, especially, here's where the here's where those complaints come back, right? Like, mm-hmm. If you've heard of them in the press, you're probably kind of wary of letting them. I guess I get that. Yeah. So it seems like it just, it wasn't enough time. And it seems like also the timeline was, like, unclear to both parties. Like, Muth thought they had more time. I wasn't super clear on that on like whether or not like it was defo 90 days or what but either way it seemed like it was not enough time for them Mm -hmm. Um, so they can't find housing and so they draw up arrest warrants for them and at 6 a.m august 8th 1978 the eviction kicks off Uh, you have a huge crowd gathered around Um, the police move the media away for their safety but you have 600 cops um, heavily armored, carrying Uzis. You got a bulldozer. The works, right? This is like an army more impressive than some nations have. 600 cops. 600 cops, yeah. It, it literally looks like an occupation when you see the videos. That's insane. So they start by bulldozing the barriers all around the house. Um, and they, they ram through windows. Once they bust in, they, they go in with a guy named Walter Palmer, who had like worked with them in the past. Um, to kind of serve as a negotiator. 
he did not have any training as a negotiator. And he says that in the documentary. He's like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm just like, hey, everybody calm down. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it doesn't go great. Like, shots are fired. Unclear who shot first. But according to Move, none of the weapons they owned were actually operable. Which... I think is true, but I'm not sure. Like the the weapon stuff gets really murky in this. The court case doesn't handle it well. It's just like, I'm not sure what's going on here. Yeah, but their claim basically was that all the guns that they had been trying to get just didn't work. Yeah, they they claimed that like they just no one had a real gun that worked. <laughs> just kind of crazy. Well, that's uh, that sucks not, either way. It's, yeah, that's not it's a like, great story if it's true. <laughs> Yeah, that's a big L if if it is true, you know? Like, <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, we're going to see later, like, this, the police version is also not true, so. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I'll, I'll believe them before I believe the cops. So. Yeah, for sure. That's a good call, because they're going to do some crazy cartwheels here in a minute. Yeah, I mean, I'm on, I guess I, I concur with your reading of it, because you've read more about it, that a lot of times it's hard to tell in historical, you know, events the the real what actually happened i mean you have that in uh if you go back to like the mexican-american war like who fired first in the first skirmish they don't they don't know that either you know there's lots of scenarios where it's like eh, you know something happened <laughs> yeah and i think for me it, it doesn't super matter because like yeah this was an eviction you didn't have to go in there with fucking 600 cops and uzis and a bulldozer right at like, the end of a big siege and stuff you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah like they escalated the fuck out of this and it, they they just do some some heinous shit to the point where like I don't think they're like handful of rifles and a pistol or whatever we're gonna stop this you know like yeah I think you're good so a firefight breaks out police begin pumping water into the basement which is where all the move people are hiding out and then they use tear gas I will remind you there are women and children in this house that they are pumping full of they're gonna drown them is this their literal they're trying strategy? to drown them out. Okay. Like so they, they make, come out, make them come out. Yeah. Which, as we all know, it's really easy to get out of <laughs> when a you're room swimming. that's being filled with water. Yeah. You, know? you just swim up the stairs, right? That's how yeah, that works. That's fine. Yeah. You'll float to the top. It's horrible. They, they did a lot of interviews with move members and stuff, and, and they described, like, you know, I was, I was holding my child up so they wouldn't drown. Like, it's, it's horrifying. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, they start pumping in tear gas. This was really interesting. In the documentary, they mention someone calls it smoke because they're like, well, there's children in there, so we want to make sure it's safe. I'm like, well, I don't think smoke is safe either, but okay. And then they catch one of the officers saying tear gas, and the, the interview's like, can you say that again? <laughs> so <laughs> it's just tear gas, guys. I don't know why we're playing around with this. Yeah. And yeah, not to say that one's really even, it's probably better, but still sucks. Still to sucks. Use against just civilians. Yeah. So members start evacuating. They put their children out first, which like in my mind, I'm like, yeah, you're drowning. You want your kid to get out first. But the officers say, well, of course they put their kids out first because they, they don't want us to shoot them. And I'm just Human like, shields, yeah. cool, cool, cool. So one incident that really gets a lot of focus is the story of Delbert Africa. Um, and he is a member who crawls out of a window from like the basement, I guess, like, like up there onto the first level. Um, and he crawls out and puts his hand up immediately. There's a very famous photograph of him with a cop, like pointing a rifle right at his neck. And according to an officer, he was quote, helped out of the house 
I'm going to guess what he means by that is that the police start beating him. Wow. Yeah. But that was their way of helping. Very helpful. That's all they can do is wield violence. <sighs> really? Yeah. Remember how, like, the police ordered the media to, to move away? Mm-hmm. Thankfully, one pair of reporter slash photographer team, they went up to a neighbor's house to get footage, and they managed to capture this footage. And it was like, you know, this is one of the earlier documented footage of police brutality against black people. So they caught this beating and they claim like, okay, yeah, the reason we were beating him is because he were worried he's laying on top of a missing gun from an officer. The reason that gun was missing is because it goes flying out of this officer's holster as he's kicking Delbert on the ground. Yeah. Wow. So he completely made up. (laughs) Just completely paradoxical. Like, uh, no, so, yeah, it's a really brutal beating. They're, like, kicking his fucking head, all kinds of shit. And, wow. yeah, this ends up sparking a big protest and counter-protest movement of, you know, proto-Blue Lives Matter people over police brutality um, in response to footage. And these three officers are charged with disciplinary measures, but the judge completely threw out the case, didn't even let it go to jury. The judge seemed offended that they were even charged. <laughs> wow, yeah. I mean, that's what it's, it's still so hard to get convictions on mm-hmm. police officers. You know, it's hard to get them put on trial in the first place, but yeah, it's crazy. Where did, did anyone die in that altercation? This big shootout? One officer is killed. James Ramp. According to eyewitnesses, it is unclear whether or not the fatal shot came from the basement and like, you know, where the move members were, or it was friendly fire. I think it was friendly fire, guys, because, like, the ballistics report does not match up. Plus, their guns don't really work, probably. Probably not. And here, here's all the fucking evidence that says it was not them. No forensic evidence was presented that successfully tied move to the weapon used to kill Ramp. One, the women didn't even handle firearms. Like, they didn't even face weapon charges, but they still got charged for the murder of Ramp. So explain that to me. I, I don't understand that one. They they got mage hand and <laughs> they psychically use it, I guess yeah yeah there were no fingerprints on the supposed murder weapons the guns were also like weirdly clean and like not kept in a proper evidence locker um, I mentioned their cleanliness because immediately after this sh- shootout is done like within hours they start tearing down the house so like but you found the gun like <laughs> you know like you took the time yeah. like they destroyed that house and and. Rev Left was talking about how, like, I think they learned from the murder of Fred Hampton to, like, don't leave a crime scene. Yeah, that's a good point. Because they, like, after that, the Black Panthers, like, took people there to show them, like, look what they did to him. You know, Mm -hmm. just, I mean, gave gruesome tours, not just to gross people out, but to say, like, this is what the cops do, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, like, ballistically, their story does not make sense, you know? Yeah. They, They end up arresting nine of the move members um, and they they charge them all together the judge says since they were a family they could all face the same same charges nice family values uh, <laughs> judge over here <laughs> right <laughs> back to the evidence um nobody was armed when they were arrested there were no gunpowder residue on any of the move members so like it doesn't seem like they even did a shot and this to me is the kicker ramp was shot in the back of the head and angled downwards through his body Move was in the basement. Yeah, it's a wild shot from the Move guys. <laughs> they did some magic missile shit. 
Yeah, that's okay. So yeah, that definitely sounds like that was friendly fire, which happens all the time. All the Cops time. Are great at shooting each other. In addition to shooting other people, they're great <laughs> and, and at shooting black each people. other. Yeah, yeah, that's that's their second favorite kind of shot. No, and like there is lots of confusion, or I guess like in the analysis of both of these incidents, incidents that we're going to talk about, there's just very sloppy planning, like the way they had people positioned and stuff. It's like you would. This is a bad plan, guys. Like you're gonna get friendly fire with this, and like, guess what? They do. Like, let's let's all circle the place and just start shooting. <laughs> just start this should be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, because this ends up being such a long and drawn out case, it seems like the public eye kind of got tired of the story, and so they were able to get away with like this really sloppy evidence. At one point, the coroner's testimony didn't match up with his report, and the DA just like took a pencil and changed it in court and the judge allowed that whoa <laughs> so said, hey hold on i meant this. <laughs> one sec <laughs> so all of the move nine which is kind of how they're referred to um they were sentenced to 30 to 100 years of prison so essentially life sentences for reference third degree murders at the time usually received 7.5 to 15 years third okay they're charging all nine of these people we're killing this one dude? Yes. I don't even know how that makes sense. This is like a et tu brute seizure <laughs> situation here. Yeah, yeah. Except for the dude only has one bullet hole. Yeah, I don't understand how that works either. Like They did some Captain Planet all, all hold yeah. the gun at the same time. <laughs> on three, thing. one, two. Yeah. Yeah, it makes no fucking sense. It's insane. Yeah. Two members end up dying in prison in 1998 and 2015. The rest were released in 2018, 19, and 2020. Um, the women were released first, but like, and at, at different times too, like for basically no reason. And, and they're like, I feel like they're just doing this to demoralize us at this point, you know? Yeah. They faced long stretches of solitary confinement in prison. So torture. Yeah. Yeah. Torture. Del Africa was actually in the hole for six years for refusing to cut his dreadlocks. That's wow. Unbelievable. It is torture. There's no other way to put it. So yeah, if, if you want to know more about this specific incident, the, the documentary is, is focused on that, the one that I watched, 40 Years a Prisoner. Um, it focuses a lot on uh, Mike Africa Jr., who actually um, is the son of two of the Move 9 members. Like, he was born in a prison cell, and so it's, and it's about, like, his kind of journey to get his parents released. Um, it's really good. It's really interesting and heartbreaking. Eventually, he's reunited with his parents, but, you know, he lost 40 years with them. Cruelty knows no bounds. Yeah. And that's what that's I mean, like the only explanation for this is it's, it's just to prove a point, right? Or to to punish uh, like in the entire group, the entire movement, any other movements who are trying to think about doing the same thing. We will come in. We will completely d- kill you, destroy you, ruin your life. And it, yeah, it, this is an eviction. <laughs> like imagine yeah. if your landlord showed up with a fucking, you know, Uzi and was like, get the fuck out. Like, what the yeah. fuck? And if you try to offer any resistance, if you, I, I mean, you know, because it's actually just if you offer up any sort of inconvenience to us, because I mean, they are coming out eventually, you yeah. know, and it's not like they were shooting. No, they were out with hands up and still got the crap beaten out of them. Yeah. So if you're like, wow, that was, that was a big story. We're done. Okay. End of podcast. No, we've got another big story. And this one somehow is worse. From bad to worse to worse. <laughs> just keeps going. All right. Okay. So we jump ahead a little bit. It's 1981. 
move has relocated to the Cobbs Creek area in West Philadelphia. This is a more black neighborhood. Okay. Um, they continue their protests, which are now also really focused on the release of the Move 9, obviously. Makes sense. They build up barricades again, uh, which was like in violation of city zoning, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Yeah, which <laughs> is almost anything you do to yeah. a building at it's all. It's true. It's true. I want to build an add-on and I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to like have to deal with that. You know, the same kind of story starts happening. They, they do their protests. The neighbors are like, ooh, I don't know, but maybe... And then in 1985, uh, police obtain arrest warrants for four occupants for parole violations, contempt of court, illegal possession of firearms, and again, the classic making terroristic threats. They start kind of doing the same thing. They evacuate residents in the area. They tell these people, you can come back in 24 hours. And the people are like, well, this sucks, but okay. So they evacuate other people. They're like, get out of here, get out of town. You don't want to see this? Yeah. All right, not suspicious at all. It'll be totally fine, right? Monday, May 13th, 1985, city manager Leo Brooks with 500 police officers arrive and try to enforce the warrants. Uh, Once again, they shut off water and electricity and try to get them out that way. They refuse, and so they, they follow the script. They fire tear gas and flood the basement with water cannons. Doing it again. Yeah, more of more of that sort of approach. Was this still under Rizzo or had he gone on by then? This is a new guy. So this okay. is Wilson Good. And and there's kind of some speculation on whether or not this was to kind of prove that he could also be law and order because, you know, Democrats uh, love to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why? It's kind of like, what's the point of, say, of being a different party if you're just going to do the same thing? <laughs> the exact same thing. It's incredible how bad this gets. <laughs> yeah. Another firefight breaks out. This firefight is insane. The police fire at least 10,000 rounds. So much so, they have to go back to their headquarters to get more ammo. This is like a literal battle. Yeah. Like a like a war. Like, you have battles that have fewer rounds discharged than that. That's crazy. You know, speaking of battles, let me give you the list of people who are in the house. You have John Africa, age 54. Raymond Africa, 50. Conrad Africa, 36. Frank Africa, 26. And then you have the women, Rhonda Africa, 30. Teresa Africa, 26. And then Tree Africa, 15. Delicia Africa, 12. Netta Africa, 13. Little Phil Africa, 12. And Tommaso Africa, 9. This is a majority children group. And that's all who's in the house? That's all the people that are in the house. Versus 500 soldiers shooting 10,000 rounds? Yes. Wow. They essentially treated the children as combatants. They, they said, they'll, we, we assume they're going to sh- be shooting back, I guess. And so that's what they did. Like someone came out and said that? I believe so. I'm trying to remember where I, that one. I heard that one on Rail Love too, but I don't remember the exact source on, on who said that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that was in the planning. They were like, yeah, we got to account for even what if the kids come at you with a mm-hmm. you know, worst case scenario sort of planning or whatever. So, all right. Oh, and their list of weapons they had against these 10,000 rounds. Uh, they had one twenty-two, two pistols and a shotgun. That's their arsenal. That's their arsenal. 
They're, I mean, they're way worse off than before. I guess yeah. before at least those were maybe inoperable versus. That's all they had. Versus all five hundred troops. Essentially, just like Looney Tunes, shoot up the house, like like completely Swiss cheese the place. Yeah. It makes no sense. It's yeah. I mean, it's a just that sounds like it's just an extermination. I mean, it was. It really. I I can't see another goal here because their logic in all of this like they are not there to evict someone they're there to fucking murder somebody yeah i mean why would you come out at that point when when you're surrounded by people who are like you said you know just laying into the place with so many shots if you come out aren't they just gonna kill you like yeah i bet i mean i can't imagine them taking you peacefully if anything they're gonna beat the shit out of you yeah so they also used some other stuff. They used some C4, which was illegally supplied by one of their FBI field agent buddies. He was just like, yeah, sure. <laughs> had some C4 laying around, man. They had C4. <laughs> That's a bomb. I mean, they just they just threw it in there? Or? Um, they used it to blow ho- holes in the walls so they could pump more tear gas in, I believe. Um, they would like station out at the neighbor's houses to do that. Okay. So on top of the house, there is a series of bunkers on the roof that they, they had built, that Move had built. The police consider this a tactical advantage, and so they wanted to remove these bunkers. So that, like, the 15-year-old wouldn't be shooting at you from the bunker on the roof? <laughs> I assume so. So if you're looking at these bunkers, like, the logical way to remove them would be, like, a crane. Okay, yeah. And a- according to the police, though, they're like, well, we're going to try with the water cannons, and then if that doesn't work, we're going to bomb it. And then the according to the fire chief was he was he said like he had told them like the water cannons will not work. <laughs> like that's not like, what yeah, water yeah, cannons yeah, are for. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, so they just like made up a plan A they knew was going to fail so they could do plan B it sounds like. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's evil. Very evil. They gave them no final warning about this bomb. Um, they gave them a warning before they started shooting. It was like something like this is America, you got to follow our laws. Like it was it was not helpful. Um, <laughs> this is America. We're about to destroy you. Yeah, all right. This is America. Like, you're not wrong. That is what America does. <laughs> yeah. They didn't give him a final warning, but what ends up happening is a helicopter drops two one pound bombs on the house. Um, I believe these are from the same FBI field agent guy. Okay. Is a one pound bomb a big deal? Or? They're made out of Tovix, which is a dynamite substitute used in mining. They are military-grade explosives, even though the police referred to them as entry devices. And according to the officers who constructed the bomb, which also, why are police officers constructing a bomb? I don't think that's what they're supposed to do. You get overtime for that. (laughs) (laughs) According to these two officers, the police commissioner told them that they should put lots of frag and shrapnel in there to make it like an anti-personnel device. And the officer said that they didn't follow this order. So they have no, I mean, why would they lie about that? They're just trying to, they're but trying they to say this. Follow the they order? did not follow the order. They, they say like, oh, they, the, the, our boss wanted to make this bomb worse, but we didn't. <laughs> they're like, there's a fucking Unabomber over here. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Additional, very shady detail is the police had been heavily surveilling move again, um, in the second house. And one of their concerns was that they had seen a member with a gas canister on the roof. And so they were like saying, oh, they've got gas canisters. They're going to start some shit. They're going to pour gas on you when you I don't know what, what they thought. I, I don't know. 
uh, maybe like, like a, a bomb? Molotov cocktail. Or I assume, you know? yeah, that's what they're worried about. And this bomb drops right by the gas canister. Conveniently. Mm-hmm. Which they defo knew about. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's photos of it. Yeah. Okay. And I guess I shouldn't have said, oh, it's it's only a one pound. I mean, like, it doesn't matter. Like, you were still dropping a bomb. On a, on a house with children in it. Yeah. So small or not. But then in addition, you're also dropping it exactly where you know. There's a gas canister. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. This quote from the mayor fucking makes me so mad. The one thing that we did that went wrong was when the percussion grenade was dropped, it caused a fire. That was an accident. I was as saddened by that as anyone else. I do not believe that was an accident. No. Your guys, yeah, I guess there's a world where the police just keep him in the dark on it, and they're just like, oh, man, we didn't know, you know, and they just lie to him. But, you know, maybe he did know about it. You know, he ordered this thing in the first place, right? This is the mayor, uh, yeah. you said, Wilson Good. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> <laughs> like, how can you? Dude, it doesn't. Yeah, best case scenario is you didn't know about the tactical parts or whatever. You didn't improve of the individual little moving parts of all of it. But at the end of the day, you still like ordered this. You big, still ordered huge, a bomb. Yeah, <laughs> or the at the very least, this siege on like your own people, mm-hmm. dude. Yeah, and one thing that I found really striking was that they could have just arrested these people earlier. Like, there wasn't, like, a barricade this time. You know, they they evacuated the neighbors, but they didn't, like, it didn't seem like they cut it off as, as hard as they did before. Like, you had move members, like, leaving every day to exercise or go get groceries or whatever, including the children. Like, they could have gotten the children out anytime they wanted to. They let them go back that day knowing that the next day they were coming in? Yeah. All right. Yeah, uh, they wanted to kill all these people. I I don't see another explanation. No, no, for sure. That's that's the reason. Why did they want to do that? You know, what was what was the motivation? Just that they were uniquely evil people, or that this is like what the system does to people who challenge it? You know, in a meaningful way. I think so. I mean, it, it's really hard to to understand how how this could escalate so quickly and so badly i mean i guess yeah like i i and and again i just think of like the complete and total like mismatch of firepower that i'm like why 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 did you have to completely annihilate this house and these people and these children yeah making an example so they bomb the place how does this go it catches on fire from the explosives According to the chair of the special investigative commission that happens later, the commission found that when the fire first started, you could have put it out with a bucket of water. It was very small. But police and firefighters were instructed to not put out the fire until the compound was destroyed. So these motherfuckers sat around for one and a half hours until they finally started their water cannons in the meantime, 65 houses burned down. Whoa, they were in the one, right? But they just let the whole block go? They let the whole block go. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The, and they told those people, oh, you can come back in a day to, yeah, to a burnt say, house. These are the people who they just, yeah, these are the people who they just evacuated. Yeah. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. Come back tomorrow. And then they have to come back to. Nothing. 
the whole block got burned yeah, down. Over 60 houses. It's in and like and and I think this is where it's it's important to point out like yeah, this was the the mostly black neighborhood. They didn't give a fuck. Yeah. I was going to say I'm sure that like the government like had the city government was like, "Oh, let's put you up in a apartment that we're going to pay for because we burned down your place." No, nothing like that, right? They had okay, so they rebuilt the houses, but apparently the construction was so shitty that they ended up having to redo it, and like it cost way wow. more. And eventually, people just left. Like a lot of people just were like, "This is not worth it." Yeah, that's yeah. Today, most of the houses are are still vacant. So they burned the place down. What uh, what happened to the move members who were there? So, this is disputed, but I definitely believe move on this one. Move members started to evacuate, and police shot at them. So they went back in the burning house. They killed them. They burned them alive. Yeah, basically shot them to force them back in, and then yeah, they died in the fire. Yeah, according to that same chairperson... Police officers denied using gunfire, though it is unclear why MOVE members would choose to run back into the fire. Yeah, very unclear. <laughs> yeah, what What would make them do that? Like, it's irrational. It, especially, like, it, it's not so irrational just to stay, I guess. You could say, like, I'd rather not go out there. But if you made the choice to, to like... To try to leave. To escape first, and then, yeah, why would... Yeah, that's obvious. Six adults and five children die. Only two members survive, one adult and one child. And I, this is why I'm inclined to believe this, this story, because the child grows up and, and ends up not being a MOVE member anymore. Uh, Birdie, Africa. Mm-hmm. Ramona is still a MOVE member. And, and they're the, both of them say that this happened, that they and other people tried to escape, but were, were herded back in. But they, they managed yeah. to get out, I believe. Actually, one officer helps them escape, um, and he actually has to quit the police department because he's harassed about it so much. He is labeled an N-word lover. Wow. That's why we say all cops are bad. No good cops, guys. The, the good cops. <laughs> They'll get run out. <laughs> the, the cops that you love. Well, here's, you know, yeah, they, they're not cops. Like the le- legit <laughs> actual good cops are not They're not cops. really cops. They, they quit. The quote-unquote good cops are the ones who may, maybe they think like that, but they are fine with covering up. Mm-hmm. They're fine with having the back of the other assholes. Yeah. You know, those are the ones that stay. So if you're like, oh, I got this good cop or whatever, maybe they are like on some level a personally good person in some way, but they they, they make compromises with an evil system. I mean, someone instructs them to let a neighborhood burn and they say, okay. Yeah. They never feel bad about it, but those are orders. Also, both Ramona and Birdie claim that others escaped with them and actually successfully got out, but all the bodies were later found in the basement. So it's like, ooh, did they get killed later and then just placed there? Or like, what happened? Wow, yeah. And again, the the second guy has no reason to lie because he's not part of Move anymore. So, but they were uh, all right. These P two people escaped. They were. Were they kids or adults or one kid and one adult? One kid and one adult. Ramona was, but I think Ramona was like in her 30s or something. And then Ramona was, or Birdie was the young one. He was 13. But both of them say there were other people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Memory is a weird thing. And obviously kids are. And also, yeah, very traumatic event to try to remember perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. All the same. If 
they did escape, but then were killed and shoved in there. That's a, just another level. I mean, I don't know how much worse it makes it, honest, because it's, yeah, it's so, so bad. All of it is so bad. Just genocidal stuff. Included in these deaths um, were some of the children of the Move 9 who were, like, still in prison. And they were, like, told about it in prison. Like, your your kids got burned alive. Yeah. So By the police. By the police. Overall, you have 250 people displaced from their homes. The neighborhood ended up mostly being bought out by the city. And, yeah, it's just, it never really, it seems like it never really recovered in terms of, like, a full population and stuff so what did they i know you mentioned they had an investigation they built some houses or whatever they do anything else not much um before we get to that i have one other point i wanted to make yeah so one thing i read in the north philly free press this was part of a pattern of black people getting regularly killed in fires with very little action done to save them First responders would take a really long time to respond to fires. You also had a ton of absentee landlords, which meant you had a lot of neglected wiring. Black fire victims were also often like blamed for their own deaths. Um, there was this one horrible story where a detective suggested that the fire was caused by like a boy playing with exposed wiring, which like I don't know why you would jump to that. And two, yeah. like, wouldn't you, like, get the landlord in trouble for having fucking exposed wiring? Yeah. I don't, it, it, it's, that's obviously a building code violation or whatever. Right? Yeah, that and can't be so. fucking safe. Like, why is it his fault, you know? Yeah. And then plus it, I mean, accidents do, ha I don't know, like, you should still have a quick response to when things go wrong like that. You can't just be like, oh, well, what do you expect? It's. You know, it's their own fault. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's an article in the in the show notes that I'll include about just this disturbing pattern that was going on. So I think people, I mean, obviously this is a horrific event, but I, I think it just it it fell in step with kind of what was happening to black people in in fires at the time. Their government didn't care about them. No. The more overtly racist ones were glad when things like this happened. You know, and the less were just like not that bothered. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a story of they called an ambulance for like a, a teenage boy and it took forever. And then when it showed up, it was just like a police van and two guys who just like kind of carried him. In. Like it was not an ambulance, you know? Wow. Yeah. All right. So um, you asked about the investigation. Yeah. Mayor Good, the guy who ordered this, <laughs> starts an investigative commission. He selected this commission also. Okay, I'm sure this will be very effective. <laughs> Criticize your boss about how good of a job do you think he did? <laughs> yeah, here it's a uh, it's interesting. So they denounce it on like pretty much every level, and they're the ones that turn up a lot of the the evidence. That's like, hey, that you knew about the gas can. Hey, you knew about this. Like they turn up a lot of like really damning evidence and stuff, right? Okay. Um, like I, I cited them quite a few times in this, and they they denounce it and say it was it was unconscionable great nobody ever faced criminal charges so they they just say look at this horrible thing wow i wish that hadn't happened moving on no government official faced criminal charges in fact ramona was convicted of riot and conspiracy and served seven years in prison ramona is the person the who person escaped? who escaped got in trouble are you <sighs> fucking kidding wow. me it's like you blew up my house and my kids and my family 
And now you're going to send me to prison? Yeah, because you had the gall to survive. Like, you, you were supposed to be dead with the rest of them, I guess. That's, like, the only explanation. That's wild. It's so bad. A series of lawsuits happen against uh, the police and public officials. One of those ended up getting thrown out because they, like, tried to do it on, like, Fourth Amendment claims. And they're like, well, there was no seizure during the bombing. So, like, you're good. And also, you guys have qualified immunity because you're, like, cops. Yeah, yeah, you guys can basically (laughs) do whatever. Um, The city ended up having to pay out to Ramona and the families of victims. They got $1.5 million in a civil suit, which does not seem like enough. Displaced residents were awarded $12.83 million in 2005. It's also worth noting that one of the journalists in, in this time, who was a former Black Panther, uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal, um, he was very sympathetic to MOVE, and he covered them extensively and actually quoted them and you know told their side of the story. He was later arrested for killing a police officer, and guess what? No ballistic evidence actually connected him to the crime. He was just there. Yeah, he, he was basically framed on that, if my understanding of I believe of it, it is too. correct. Yeah. He got out of death row, but he's facing a lot of, like, excessive medical neglect right now in prison. Um, they're just, like, they're basically trying to kill him, I think. Yeah, he's he's still incarcerated, correct? That's Yes, he just as far is no as I longer know. On? Okay. As far as I know, yeah. Because I knew a lot of his recordings were, like, from death row. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's what it was, it was called. And But now he's not, okay, but he's still... He's still incarcerated. Yeah, and as we just saw, they'll, they'll, they will bomb kids, so they will basically do anything. They'll... You know, find one way or another to kill you. Oh, yeah. All right. Do you want to guess the date that uh, the Philadelphia City Council formally apologized for the bombing? Uh, n- never. Or do they? <laughs> Eventually, in 20-fucking-20. 20 20. Whoa. <laughs> I was expecting like, at least a good, like, 2010 number or something. No, it took them that long to be like, yeah, we probably shouldn't have bombed our own citizens, huh? <laughs> it's so bad. That's just, and then, I mean, even so, like they do that, but look at like the paltry restitution they did for that or the no one like facing charges about it or anything. No, no justice. And and yeah. in fact, this is the, the last horrible icing on this just terrible cake. Just not a good bake, folks. <laughs> the remains, unfortunately, have a story here. The city claims that the remains went unclaimed by the families. But in 2017, the health commissioner, Thomas Farley, ordered the remains to be cremated without identifying them or contacting the family to make sure that, like, that was okay. Also, why did you have them until 2017? Seems like a long time just to hang on to remains. Just there in a box somewhere, I guess. That's. And then why all of a sudden you're just like, uh, cremate these. Like, we got to save room. I don't know. But the crazy thing is that the bones of two of the children killed in this bombing, when he when they made that order to cremate, they found out that those bones were gone. They were being used to teach fucking forensics at the University of Pennsylvania and later at Princeton. These bones were being used. For, they were kept in a cardboard box on a shelf. That's just dancing on the grave, man. It really is. It's so horribly. Th- these are children children's bones you know man one of those police chiefs or sergeants or whatever those guys you know Mm -hmm. one of them was like hey this will be funny yeah last little laugh 
You know, somebody's cousin is a professor like, oh, I got some bones. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And in case you're wondering, oh, did, did that Thomas Farley guy get any comeuppance? No, he was appointed as an executive in D.C.'s Office of Community Health Administration. So still <laughs> working. That should be fine. Yeah. 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 The guy has a, a section on his Wikipedia called like children bones mishandling. But let's make him our health guy. <laughs> he probably knows what he's doing. <laughs> Not about children's bones. Everything else, Everything else he, he more good. or less can figure out. Yeah. Bad at bones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. This story really is haunting because, like, I don't super vibe with everything that, that Move was doing, I guess. Or, like, I probably True. wouldn't have fit in super well. But, like, I wouldn't have fucking bombed them. And, like, just the outsized reaction to all this is what really gets me. Yeah. Just uh, uh, provoking an incident and then coming in and stomping all over the place like and and killing like that was it's clear in both instances right like this isn't something that got out of hand oops we ended like it seems like that was the plan from the beginning yeah i mean like i said before if they wanted to arrest them they could have fucking arrested them they were out and about in the city they could have just been like hey you're under arrest done yeah they didn't want that they wanted to, and as shown by, like, everything that happens afterward, too. They wanted to make an example. They wanted to demoralize and murder and crush a, a, a movement. So, I mean, Move is still around, which is, you know, a positive thing. And, and they, they are still very active in the Philadelphia community. They advocate, obviously, for, like, their prisoners to be released and uh, for Mumia to be released as well. You know, I was listening to that Rev Leffitt episode and, and they had an organizer from Philly and he's like, I mean, they're comrades like they they're always there. So, yeah, they sound cool. Yeah, for sure. <sighs> All right. Um, <laughs> there is when we did our episode on the first Red Scare and we mentioned the Gallianisti, that guy, Luigi Galliani. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone had a, I saw this quote about him. Someone said. You heard Galliani speak, and you were ready to shoot the first policeman you saw. <laughs> I feel like this episode <laughs> will make you want to do that. that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I saw a cop it. today, and I just was like, <laughs> "Yeah, don't do it. It's not worth it." Yeah, no. But it's just you know, you're just like God. You're just seething, man. It's horrifying. <laughs> it is horrifying stuff. And again, I just I want to emphasize how many fucking children were involved in these attacks, like. This was a family, you know? Yeah. And this sort of brutality, this sort, like this scale, talk about the 10,000 bullets and, and the straight up literal bombing. Literal bombs. Yeah, we haven't fires. seen this in a while, right? We haven't seen to that scale. Let's say that hundreds of black and brown people, hundreds of people, human beings in general, are killed by the police nowadays still. Maybe we don't see these tactics. But these tactics are something... Perennial warning from this show that could come back at any time. They could start doing this if they want to. And the law and order types would say, this is fine. This is cool. This, this, you know, shouldn't have broken the law, blah, blah, blah. You know? And I think this was like kind of the beginning of a lot of the militarization of police. Like this was in the seventies and eighties. Like um, one guy said that like some of their armor was like kind of homemade or like stitched together in some like odd fashion. So like, you know, they're a lot better at it now. <laughs> Yeah, for imagine how much more damage they could do. I'm sure they wouldn't even have to like illegally get their bomb from the FBI. They just have it. 
<laughs> yeah, toss in their their uh, department issue grenades. Yeah, yeah. I want to call out a couple of sources that were really helpful. I already did throughout for the most part, but I just want to, again, very thankful to the documentary on HBO, uh, 40 Years a Prisoner. Uh, that one's more focused on the shootings, if you want to look at that one. Um, RevLeft has a great episode on this. Check them out. I would also say uh, Vox had a great list of testimonies from like eyewitnesses on the day of the bombing. They talked to like neighbors who just like were in the neighborhood and stuff, stuff like that. And then um, I have a couple of other articles all in the show notes on Patreon. So, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Any questions? Do we need to like, I feel like we need to go chill or something. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, we have to (laughs) do some meditation. Go yeah. take a walk in nature. I need a cleanse. <laughs> yeah, that was very well done, very well researched, very thoroughly enraging. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just... Mm. The the lengths they'll go mm-hmm. is shocking. All right. Uh, thanks yeah. again for that brilliant, brilliant research, brilliant presentation. Hey, thanks. All right. Well, I certainly need a fucking break. So what are you teaching me next week? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Next week, we're going to be learning about the British Labor Party. Okay. I know nothing. That'll be fun. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Labor Party in the UK. The structure kind of has a little bit yet to be determined because it's a big topic. (laughs) So it'll be it'll have to do with them. It may be some certain aspect. We may break it up into two. We'll see. All righty. Cool. All right. We'll talk to you then. All right, catch you later. Bye. Bye. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts. Or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.